Okay, let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 8. I'm sorry about this. But where we are right now is Jesus has just preached a sermon, and uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's coming down and he's living that sermon out. And we call this series The Plugged In Life because he's taken all the things he's preached about the kingdom, and we notice that his life is plugged into that kingdom. And so we see great things through him. We see um, uh, a commitment to uh, his heavenly father. We see uh, miracles that are happening, the power of, of God flowing through his life. And so what we came away from was these three guys that had asked Jesus, basically said, we want to follow you. And Jesus gave them three uh, answers. One, he said, hey, that's great. Only I don't have a house or any place. I can't take care of you. Give you a place to sleep, guaranteed every time. He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And then another guy came and said, well, let me go first bury my father. And he said, you know what? Let, don't be part of this world. Don't worry about that culture or anything. We've got a job to do in the kingdom. And then finally, he said to another, don't look back. Once you make that commitment, no regrets. No regrets, no missed opportunities. We set our hand to the plow and we look forward. And that's where we are right now. What happened was um, Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat. After he said, look, we're going to set our hands to the plow and we're going to go. Whoever was staying, whoever decided not to go with Jesus was left on that shore. And then there was a group who, through obedience, set the sail. Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And so rather than read this section of scripture, I wanted to show a video um, from the people who were uh, actually uh, on that boat. Hey, it's Pastor John here. If you want to watch the video we watched uh, during our sermon, go ahead and go to sermonspice.com and do a search for the storm. And you'll see a video there called the storm. And it's about four sailors who experienced the storm with Jesus. That was the one we saw during the sermon. We're going to talk about storms in our lives, what they do, what the purpose is. Why do we go through storms when we live in America and everything's supposed to be paved and beautiful and comfortable? I love what he says at the end. And to let fear and things get out of hand in your mind. <laughs> I don't know where he's from, but it sounds like he should have a Tommy gun with his accent. But uh, say, so you know, he's right there. After we've seen all him do, seen him do these great things. So this morning, what we're going to talk about is storms. Why, why are we in a storm? And before I get started into uh, kind of the storms that the Lord allows and that he brings into our, our lives, I want to talk briefly that not every storm is from God. We bring a lot of storms on ourselves. Yeah, we gamble and then we have a debt problem. We drink and then we got a drinking problem. We get angry and then we have an anger problem. And the marriage gets topsy-turvy and we look and we go, man, why, why is this happening? And the Lord's going, dude, don't, I don't have anything to do with this. You're doing great on your own there. Right? Some, sometimes we make these storms in our life through bad decisions. But what I want us to understand before we get into the purpose of why God uses storms that he allows or he creates is that God, no matter what the storm is, whether we did it, God did it, 
Someone else did it to us. The solution is the same. It's Jesus. The solution is always the same. We have to go to Jesus. We have to go to God. So we get into a mess and we go, man, I brought this on myself. What do I do? I'm going to I'm going to make it right. Don't don't do that. Go to Jesus. It might take a long, long time to unravel it all. But if we do it with Jesus, if we start in the beginning with Jesus. The way that journey unfolds will become his will, even though the storm wasn't, even though the problem wasn't, even though the sin wasn't his will. As we start, we say, you know, we go before the Lord as we start that journey. It's the unfolding, the calming of that will that that becomes his responsibility. Before one other point I wanted to make, and this is I don't this is for somebody in here. I don't know who. But God does not want us standing still. Remember, Jesus has just left the people, some people on the on the shore. Some got in boats and followed. It says in Mark, there was a little flotilla that followed behind them. You can you put that word in your little dictionary flotilla. I had to look it up myself, but it's basically a bunch of little boats. Uh, Some ran along the shore and tried to meet him on the other wherever he was going. But God does not want us standing still. He does not want us the same next year as we are this year. And sometimes he uses storms in order to get us moving. He knows we're going to do it. He says, get, says to these disciples, get in the boat. He just told these guys, it's going to be hard. And the disciples are like, yep, it's going to be hard. And then they're in the fight for their lives. So let's take a look and see why does God use storms? What can we get out of them? Well, the first is, and this one isn't very fun, uh, so I apologize, but it's to dispense his discipline. To dispense, you can see where this is going. When you see two D's in the middle of a thing right there, you know the pastor's doing something tricky with words. But uh, to dispense his discipline. We were talking in our 101 class uh, that we have on Thursday nights, which is closed now because we're in our in our third week. But uh, we'll start another one up in September. But it's going fantastic and uh, it's going fantastic because we have fantastic people in it. And we were talking about disciples. Right. I'll put this up here. Disciples use discipline. And they are disciplined. They, They use discipline. You could almost say disciples are disciplined and they're disciplined. They're disciplined in the sense that they use exercise discipline in their life and the Lord chastises them. The Lord uses discipline. You say, man, I don't want the Lord to use a storm to discipline me. Then obey and the storm won't come. Okay, at least that particular storm won't come. I want to read a little bit uh, in Hebrews. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. My son. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Oh, why did that verse have to be in the Bible? I thought God was love. I just want the love part. I don't want the discipline part. Well, how many of us have seen kids without any discipline? Right now, we've seen kids whose parents are overly, you know, they don't, that's the one thing, great thing about the Lord. And so what happens is in this section of scripture, uh, the writer of Hebrews begins to talk about, duh, you see it on earth. We've got we're earthly fathers. 
that discipline us that seem best to them, how much more should we be disciplined by the Father of lights and live? In verse 7, it says this, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. There might be some storms you're going through right now where God's saying, you know what? I want this behavior corrected now. This is one of the benefits of a storm, even though it doesn't seem like a benefit, right? As a matter of fact, Hebrews goes on in verse 11 to say this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Yeah, duh, thanks. It's painful. Later on, however, what does it produce? Now, I want you to see what this storm of discipline produces. It produces a harvest of righteousness. Because, see, he's correcting us. He's getting us back on the path. So now we're walking in righteousness and peace. This is what Jesus brought. When Jesus decided that storm was over, what? It was completely calm. The same thing goes with storms that discipline us. After we've been rebuked, after we've been corrected, there's calm. There's peace. It's painful during it, but afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Okay, so but uh, I, I wanted to just get, get that one in there. But uh, that's not the disciples case here. They weren't being rebuked. They weren't being chastised. They were just obeying. They were just, Jesus said, get in the boat. We're going over the other side. So they got in the boat and they went over the other side. Why would there be a storm during obedience? That's not fair. If I obey, my life goes well. If I don't obey, I get, I understand the discipline part. Everyone understands that. But if I'm just minding my own business, trying to do my own thing and help the church and not swear and, you know, give money to people and stuff. Why would there be a storm? Well, I'm going to talk about some things of what happens during a storm that uh, really helps us out. The first is it helps us notice our need. It helps us notice our need. What I love about preaching in Matthew, we talked about this last week, was you get really sometimes four different perspectives of what was going on. And in this particular case, with the boat and the storm, we have three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they all give different insight. None of them conflict. It all just kind of adds different things. And and if you look in Luke chapter 8, verse 23, it says, they were in great danger. Okay, this wasn't just, this was a serious storm. And you go, well, if I'm going through the storm, I'm going to end up okay, because Jesus is there. Not according to Hebrews. It says they were put in prison, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. It's like, yikes. Doesn't it always end with kind of some relief? Not always. In the meantime, though, we notice our need. They were in great danger. And they said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. They realized we are in a lot of trouble. And when storms hit our lives, don't we notice our need? Don't we go... Oh boy, how am I going to get out of this one? And maybe at first we go to ourselves and we go, okay, well, I've got some money in savings. And then if I do that and I might be able to work extra hours and blah, blah, blah. And the Lord's going, keep going down your list. Keep, keep going because I want you to see your need. It removes confidence in ourselves. 
I mean, I don't know if you can think back to storms. One of the problems with storms is that we often forget them. And we just long for the calm. But if you can think about some storms in your life, doesn't it just totally strip you of all the confidence you have? Like, think about this storm. Jesus got them right at their point of strength. They were fishermen. They were on the water their whole lives. And Jesus brings a storm. If it, I can imagine what I would be like if I were in their shoes. Here we are. Jesus is preaching. I'm, I'm one of Jesus' best buddies. I'm hanging with him. I'm a disciple. There's all these people, and he's preaching. I'm just like, totally. Yeah, we're going to head up to the Mount of Olives later on tonight. You guys stay here, you know. And so then Jesus is like, hey, let's get in the boat. And he, I got to go. Jesus wants me to take him over there. He can't make it on his own. We're fishermen. You know, you're taking the line like your fancy way of doing the line, you know. <laughs> he got it all coiled up real nice. You're just like, show that to you. There you go. Toss it in. Everybody's cool. It's us. It's a little dark, but hey, I'm a fisherman. I've been doing it my whole life. So you're sailing. Jesus is asleep. And you're like, isn't he so cute when he sleeps? Watch, you can watch him breathe. Oh, I love it when he does that. Poor little guy's all tuckered out from preaching. You take care of the preaching, Jesus, the teaching. We'll take care of the fishing. God, you take care of this. I'm going to go to work. I got, I got everything at, home, at the home front. It's okay. I got my kids. I got my job. I got my church. You, go, you don't worry your pretty little head about it. You just go to sleep. Mark says he was asleep on a cushion. You know, he had a little cushion. And then that storm hits. And you start going, ah, it's no big deal. I've seen this before. And then, oh man. Some storms don't just hit. This one says a squall came. And, and if you study that region, that's what happens. The winds come down off the mountain and just, poof, without warning. You can go from perfectly calm to big waves. All of a sudden, it's like nothing they've ever seen. They do their best. What happens? They lost all confidence in themselves, didn't they? So they go to Jesus. That's what you got to do. You got to see your need. You got to notice your need and go, oh, this ain't going to work if I try it my own way. I'm sure they did everything they knew how. And it said in one of the Gospels, the the boat was being filled with water. Must have been scary. Removes confidence in ourselves. It also renews conviction of our sin. If you look at the three Gospels, this Gospel, Matthew, says they were amazed at the end. Uh, Mark, I think it is. Yeah, Mark says they were fearful. And you go, aha! One says amazed, one says fearful. Gotcha. Well, Luke says fearful and amazed. (laughs) You just go, whoa! You begin to go, man, the Lord... Not only don't I have a need, I depart from me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why should the Lord help me out of this? You begin to look at your life and you go, you know what? He doesn't deserve to help me after what I've done. See, we we get a new, renewed conviction of our sin during a storm. We notice our need just of our own life and just our own um, confidence. And then we also see this conviction. What, 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 look what happens. It says in Hebrews chapter four. Let us then approach the throne of grace 
with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Storms show us we are needy. We notice our need and go, Whew. and aren't we glad we have a Jesus that we can wake up and go, Whew. I can't do it. I need you. We approach his throne of grace with confidence and he helps us. In Revelation 3.17, it says, You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I mean, isn't that where God wanted us when he started preaching? Blessed are the poor in spirit. They know they're ple- uh, wretched, pletched. They're pleshed, which is a new word. Don't even bother looking it up. They're, they're wretched, they're poor, they're needy. That's where God wants us. Storms help us notice our need. The second thing storms do is they personalize his presence. They personalize his presence. Look at uh, Matthew 8.25. The disciples went to him and woke him. They actually went to Jesus. It's like enough. I I have to exercise this relationship with Jesus or we're going to drown. So they go to him. They go to him. It becomes personal. Mark even goes further and says, they said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? This is a very personal relationship. Don't you care, God? God doesn't mind us doing that. He doesn't mind us making it. You remember, you know, have you ever seen a movie? Uh, you know, it's like, and this time it's personal, right? <laughs> you ever seen that? This is what's happening here. It's like, John needs to exercise his faith. And this time it's personal, personal. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. We go to Jesus in relationship. We personalize his presence. You like that? That's good. Thanks. I'm going to hear it on the way home. Psalm 10, one. This is not unique to the Bible. Psalm 10, one says, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist is saying, Come on, man. What's going on? In the storm, God wants us to go to him. He wants it to be personal. Psalm 44, 3 says, Awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Why is this going on? If you're in a storm right now and it just seems to keep going and going and going and going, it seems like, man, what's the Lord doing? It's okay to ask him those questions. Why do you stand far off? There's two things we forget in this. We forget his love or we forget his power. See, typically what happens is, in this case, here comes a storm and we're like, man, Lord, don't you love me? Don't you love me? Or we go, oh, I know he loves me. He just won't do anything about it. He just can't. For some reason, this storm is just too much for him. We forget how powerful he is. And this happens all the time. We do this the same with the Lord. We say, um, we want his power when the storm comes. Stop the storm, right? We want his power. But when his power says, I have all authority and I want you to change your life, then we want his love. Like, well, you know me. I'm just, this is the way I am. Why do you have to get all on me like that? Right? <laughs> Why do you have to do that? Don't you love me? I thought you love me. And then there's a problem. Oh, all powerful, almighty God. And he says, yeah, I'm all powerful, and almighty. Now change that part of your life. Oh, you don't love me. 
right? See, that's what's awesome about our Heavenly Father. That's why we sing, your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. That's why we pray, our Father, He loves us, our Daddy, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, okay? And so this, 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 this storm personalizes it with us. We go, man, we want your love, God, save us, but we also want your power. I want to read just a few of these. Psalm 85, 9 says, Surely his salvation is near those who fear him. He is near. Philippians 4, uh, 5, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He helps us even with our gentleness. It's a, it's a personal relationship. Storms personalize this. And then uh, James, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Isn't it funny sometimes how we have faith for everyone else? I'm believing in God for you, brother. Oh, man, you're going to get through it. You're going to get it. I know it. I'll I'll keep praying for you. And then it happens to us. Where are you, God? It becomes personal. Really tests our faith there. Which is number four. It helps us further our faith. That's his question he had. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Storms help us with our faith. They help us further our faith. In, in, in uh, Luke chapter 17, there's a really cool section of scripture. The apostles come to the Lord and they go, Lord, increase our faith. That is a perfectly acceptable request for God. Lord, I want to have, don't you all want to have great faith? I mean, don't you wish no matter what you went through, you just be like, yeah, whatever. God's got it under control. Right. So the disciples, this is what they're asking for. They come to him and they go, Jesus, increase our faith. And he says, oh, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to that tree, go into the sea and it would be uprooted. Okay, thanks. But you didn't really answer my question. I'd like that kind of faith. So increase it. And then he tells a story. Jesus tells a story and he says this. He says, suppose you have a servant And he is taking care of your sheep or he's plowing the field and you come home and it's time to eat. Do you say to your servant, hey, dude, you've been working hard. Dude is a paraphrase. Uh, You've been working hard. Don't sweat it. I'll take care of dinner tonight. No, you go, hey, I'm home. Fix me dinner. And then the, 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 the servant fixes dinner. And then when everything's done, he makes himself dinner. And then Jesus goes on and he says, Uh, he says this. Oh, so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, in other words, when you've done all the servant stuff, you should say we are unworthy servants who have only done our duty. What? What does that do with increasing? Okay, so Jesus, you're saying to increase my faith, I basically need to do everything you told me to do and then say I'm unworthy. Okay, well, thanks, Jesus. Appreciate that. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you want your faith increased, you need to do things that increase your faith. Things outside of the norm. Things outside of the things that you were told to do. Okay, oh, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to do that. I did it all. Checked it off. Had my quiet time. Got it. Did my thing. Good. Check, 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 check. How come I don't have any faith? Because you never went beyond that. And storms do that. They force us. They kick us out of our comfort zone to where we have to do something outside of the norm. 
it's not just obedience. It's like, oh man, you know, everything gets rattled. That's very important in increasing our faith. Remember, God doesn't want us standing still. If you're the same you were a year ago as today, your faith has not increased. I guarantee it. Reading the Bible every day doesn't increase your faith. Seeing how the Bible plays out in your life as you've read it and go, oh yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That increases our faith. This is why James 1-2 says, consider it all joy. In other words, just get stoked when you encounter various trials. <laughs> it's like, gee, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I refuse to do that. I'm not going to be happy. I'm calling my friend and I'm going to whine, right? He says, no, consider all joy, knowing you know that when you get into a storm, when your faith is tested, all the stuff you've read in the Bible, all the stuff you've talked to your neighbor about, when it all becomes personal, it happens to you, you know that that's going to increase your faith and it's going to produce endurance. You know it. That's what James is saying. And then watch what he says. And let endurance have, it, have its perfect result, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. If you want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, you're going through storms. There's just no doubt about it. God does not want you staying where you are. And then First Peter says this. I took this out of the message version because I like the way it, it flows. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. How do we know that these storms increase our faith? Because Peter's on the boat. These guys are on the boat. Lord, save us. In chapter 14, a storm comes again. And Peter starts walking on the water. Look how much his faith has grown. He knew during the storm, well, Jesus is going to, now he's like, you want me to come out there? You want me to really, who knows if there was a third storm, what he'd be, Jesus, go long. You know, he's just, they're like playing on the water and doing all this stuff. Who knows? Right? <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm sorry. That's just so funny to me. Uh, but... <clears throat> Chapter 14, he's walking on the water. Another storm. And look how much his faith has increased. He noticed his need. He personalized it. It increased his faith. And now he's doing great things. Number five, it promotes his power. He got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. I love this video because you see this guy going. I mean, you just some of the things in scripture, I've read it so many times. I'm like, yeah, he calmed the storm. But I mean, you're just going up and down in the waves and he rebukes the wind and it, no more wind. And then the rain and it goes loud. I love that. He says, it's drenches through your skin. And then that's incredible. That promotes his power. That one guy says, what a look, (laughs) you know, I wonder what he looked like when he got up. I hope he didn't look anything like me when I wake up. Because that would have been really frightening. That might have been the fearful part. Amazed and fearful. 
Psalm 107 has almost a prophetic version of this. It's, it's not, I'm not saying it is, but it's just amazing to me. Psalm 107, the disciples would know this section of scripture. And it starts out, it says, for he spoke and stirred up a tempest. He's talking about God. He, he started this storm with high waves and, and they mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths, it says. And their courage melted away. So this is where we find whoever this is. The disciples would know this section of scripture. And watch what it says. It says, uh, oops, my bad. It says, they reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. I'll bet the disciples never read that section of scripture the same again. But now what does that scripture say to do now? We promote his power now. Listen, it goes on. Verse 31. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. Promote his power. You're going through the storm. You recognize your need. You've made it personal with God and, 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 and it's increasing your faith. And then he acts. Oh, good. It's calm. Whew. And then it was life as usual. And the guy in the film says, but there is nothing the same. We should never be the same after a storm. God doesn't want us standing still. He wants us moving forward. See, when you're in the boat, when you're in the storm, that's when you see God work. Remember, we talked about a long time ago, we talked about Lazarus coming out of the tomb. And they said, it's going to stink. Ew. Those people who have their cell phones in their pocket. Hey. Yes, Lord. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping it up right now. Okay. Okay. Those people, he said, hurry up. Those people who are in the stench right by the, right by the rock when it opens, oh gosh, get to see God's glory first. They go, no, I, when they're walking around going, no, I swear, I, I opened the rock. I saw the guy get up. He stunk, but he started walking towards us. Those people in the boat, oh man, you would not have believed. Did you feel that storm the other night? Let me tell you what God did. We promote his power. What else does it do? It helps us capitalize on the calm. It says, and it was completely calm. Let me ask you a question. Do you appreciate the calm or do you expect it? Right now, some of you are going, I'm not going through a storm right now. Been through them. Yep, I know what you're saying, but now I'm obedient, so I don't go through storms. No, I'm kidding. Right? Do you appreciate the time at, oh man, Lord, thank you so much. I'm not going through what I was going through before. Thank you so much that I know something could happen, Lord, but I just I just want to thank you. I want to bless you for my children being safe, for you know, us being well. And you say, well, why do you thank him for that? You know, what if they get sick? Well, then we'll have to deal with that. But right now, for what I'm going through, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time. You guys all know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. 
He restores my soul. That's part of what that night of worship is going to be. Reset, a restoring. Let's just have a night of worship where we just focus in on who God is. We know David, when he wrote Psalm 23, he, was, he would go through problems because he said what? Even though I'm led through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I have those storms, I'm, I'm not going to fear any evil for you're with me. We need to appreciate the calm when God brings it to us. See, sometimes until we go through a storm, we don't appreciate the calm. I didn't tell Kai I was going to tell this story, but I was talking to Kai about his arms. And, you know, he was talking about all the things that God has shown him for his arms being so painful. But when I talk to Kai about his arms, anytime there's a time of calm where they don't hurt, I hear him praising the Lord. I hear him recognizing, why? Because he knows the pain. I guarantee you, Kai appreciates his arms a lot more than I do right now. Well, what do you mean? Yeah, it doesn't. The only time I noticed my arms was when there's a problem, right? Things happen in our lives so that we go, Lord, thank you so much that you brought me through that. And there's a time of calm. We are in awe. We are.